You're listening to the Men's Health Foundation podcast. I'm David Watson. I'm Marcus Boso. Men's Health Foundation is a nonprofit healthcare provider for all men, specializing in gay men's health here in Los Angeles. Each episode, we welcome members of our care team to discuss trending topics in medicine and wellness to help you take charge of your health. Today, we have our guests, Michael Tran and James Bond, uh, joining us today. They're both providers here at Men's Health Foundation, and I'd love to first welcome you both to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us here. Before we get started, I'd love to just introduce you a bit to folks and understand a little bit about your backgrounds professionally. Michael, uh, why don't we start with you, if you could tell us a little bit about your background in medicine and sexual health. Sure. I've been a nurse practitioner for about four and a half years or so. I started my sexual health education, maybe my introduction into LGBTQIA health at the LGBT Center. Worked there for about one and a half to two years, and then I moved over here to men's health. My biggest passion is for transgender as well as at-risk youth health. And pretty much what that means is getting them all of the services that they need for preventative services, especially PrEP, especially, most especially PEP. And now with what we're talking about today, DoxyPEP. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And I just want to make sure that people um, understand some of these basic terms. So if you're not familiar yet with PrEP or PEP, PrEP, of course, is a, a prescription that can prevent HIV up to 99%. Um, a lot of people might be familiar with it as a daily pill. Um, there are definitely some options now for injectable PrEP as well. And PEP stands for post-exposure prophylaxis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is actually um, really interesting. And I actually feel as if, and Mark, I feel like you and I have talked about this, that maybe folks are a little less familiar with PEP and the concept of PEP than PrEP. Um, so maybe we can start with just an understanding of what PEP is and how that works, because I think there'll be some similarities there with OxyPEP. Sure. James can chime in at any, at any point. Um, but PEP pretty much just stands for post-exposure prophylaxis. And that just means... Um, something happened, and now you're trying to undo it. PrEP, which means pre-exposure, it means that you already have everything beforehand ready to fight off whatever it is that you are trying to um, protect against. So um, PEP is sort of like our last line of defense, essentially. We always, use, we always want to use preventative measures, but PEP is pretty much our uh, way of at least tr- trying to help our patients uh, feel better and, and pretty much uh, undo what it is that, that they did, essentially. Right, right. And it seems like what's so interesting to me about PEP is this idea that you could have been exposed to something um, and within a short window of time, um, take a medication that prevents infection or prevents you from essentially having what that is, whether that's HIV or an STI. And I mean, something about that. I mean, I remember the first time I heard about PrEP, it's like, wow, I didn't, I, I never thought that would be possible. Right. Um, so it's a really exciting idea. But I think one thing that really stands out to me with that is this really narrow time frame correct and it's because just because you have something inside your body doesn't mean that it's established so in terms of infection infection doesn't just means tag your it it pretty much means let's just say uh, and we're just talking about hiv here um if somehow one hiv virus just teeny one teeny tiny little body somehow got inside your body your body has millions of warriors and millions of armies that will fight off that one hiv so it can't kill you but let's just say a million HIV virus came in all at once and your body is like, oh, crap, I don't know what's going on. Right, right. Then it can overwhelm the body. And once it overwhelms the body, then it creates an established infection. PEP is meant to stop that from happening. So PEP is the Calvary. Amazing. 
Um, and I, I can't wait to talk more about it because I really feel like so many people can benefit from this. Um, I want to make sure that I introduce our other guest here, James Bond. James, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Um, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background, also in medicine and sexual health, um, coming to this conversation about Doxypep. So I'm a nurse practitioner. So I've been a nurse practitioner since 2005. And I worked for a few years with Men's Clinic in Silver Lake. Uh, it's one of their arm as a clinic uh, every Thursday with Men's Health. So I did um, a lot of sex STIs there and HIV testing and starting people on uh, HIV medication back then. And then, uh, so I came here at Men's Health Foundation since 2001, no, 2021, okay. <laughs> sorry. Um, yes, almost two years now. And uh, yeah, so I'm uh, working at the Rapid Result Clinic at 8280 Santa Monica Boulevard. Great, and thank you for doing that. And yeah. for folks who aren't familiar with the Rapid Results Clinics, um, right now, we have one in West Hollywood and one in uh, South Los Angeles. Right. And these are clinics that you can either book an appointment or do a walk-in um, for um, some quick STI and HIV testing and treatment and also access to PrEP. And I know we also have access to some new medications as well, like Impox vaccines. Um, we've talked about PEP and also Doxypep. That's right. Um, so maybe we can just get into it and explain what Doxypep is, what it's for, and maybe how it works. Yeah, so doxypep is short for doxycycline post-exposure prophylactics. So we use doxycycline antibiotic, which is an old antibiotic already that we used to give teenagers before or even now for acne purposes. Okay, so we also use it for like a prophylactic for malaria in other countries that are like, you know, had more malarial problem uh, infections. So it's, you know, we've established the safety of doxycycline already. And so it's really pretty safe overall. So we use the doxycycline, which is a 200 milligrams after sex, preferably within 24 hours, up to 72 hours to make it more effective. Um, but you know, if you don't, if you take it after 72 hours, then the benefit wouldn't that probably be more beneficial for you or anything. So there's three studies that they, they've done, uh, one in San Francisco and Seattle, and one in France and one in Kenya. So the first one that they did was in uh, San Francisco and Seattle. And then they found out about the reduction of uh, SDIs, such as chlamydia, syphilis, and gonorrhea, but are about two-thirds wow. reduction. So that's really, really good number. Yeah, and that goes back to pretty much what I, I talked about with the establishment of the infection. So with chlamydia and syphilis, it takes a bit of time before it can pretty much latch onto the body. So the idea of doxypep, same with HIV pep, is that we're trying to bring in the cavalry enough to pretty much stop the infection from taking hold. Wow, wow. And right. so um, both of you have experience administering doxypep right. to patients. Right. Um, and I'd love to hear your experience with that. Oh, um, I guess I'll start first then. <laughs> um, I think my, my patients uh, are extremely thrilled about it. Many of our patients that come in, um, come in from all walks of life. Um, some use our doxypep in ways to protect themselves when they're out um, entertaining, when they're out escorting, um, and when they're out uh, doing things that can be a bit risky. Doxypep was able to give them that reassurance that um, I may not be able to protect myself against gonorrhea, but I can protect myself against almost everything else. <laughs> because we do have medications for everything else but gonorrhea in terms of uh, prevention. And uh, it's interesting that you bring up gonorrhea. Um, so can we talk a little bit about the effectiveness with doxypep and gonorrhea? Yeah, so 
doxycycline isn't that great with gonorrhea. I believe if, if James, if, if you can help me with, um, with this, I think it's like maybe 20 to maybe 30%. So it's, it's not our ideal for treatment of it. Um, pretty much the only solid treatment for gonorrhea is uh, an injection that, that we would administer at one of our rapid results clinic. Um, and that's just because gonorrhea is just a very smart bacteria. Uh, over the past decades or so, it's been able to mutate and uh, develop resistances to all sorts of, of antibiotics. So our last one that we can, uh, the last one that's easy for us to administer is one of those injections. So um, because of that, the CDC, which is um, our governmental bodies that regulate our um, medications and, and try to advise us on, on treatment, they basically say that let's not use that as prevention because if that goes out the door, we're all screwed. Right, right, right. <laughs> So, yeah, so gonorrhea is one of our problematic bacteria and that causes STIs. It's been developing a lot of resistance to different types of antibiotics. So the only thing that's really worked right now is the ceftriaxone antibiotic, which is an injection that, that works really well right now. So that's our, you know, hopefully we don't have any much resistance on that one because that's our only one that really works right now. However, they found out in the study that doxycycline, especially in the... Um, studies done in San Francisco and Seattle that it offers um, uh, about 57% reduction in uh, our prevention in gonorrhea in some of the species already, because there are species of um, gonorrhea that are already resistant to doxycycline. So, but at least they found out that at least 57 still works. I see a much higher yeah. percent ratio than I yeah. thought. Yeah. I read about um, some of the studies that you had talked about earlier, James, and I, I read about the study that I think was initially done in France, and I remember oh, yeah. hearing that um, in that study that the gonorrhea that was dominant there was more resistant uh, to doxycycline. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting to, to just uh, be aware of that, that, you know, depending on where you are in the world, um, that that might influence the effectiveness of this. Right. So doxycycline, is it's under the class of tetracycline. So they found out that gonorrhea... There are gonorrhea species, or most of the gonorrhea species in, in that study in France found out that the majority are resistant to tetracycline. So that's why um, there's less effectiveness in that, in that study compared to San Francisco and Seattle. But they found out that it really works with uh, um, chlamydia and syphilis because they found out that chlamydia and syphilis, they, there's no resistance yet mm -hmm. with tetracycline. So that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Especially with syphilis, you know, syphilis is, I think is worse than chlamydia. chlamydia. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, because it affects our brain later yeah. on. Let's let's talk about that a little bit more because I think that there's still an opportunity for folks to become a little more familiar with these different STIs and what makes them different and what the different risks are. Uh, syphilis is uh, one of our more problematic STDs, and that's just because, um, in terms of testing, our uh, our ability to test to figure out whether you have syphilis has not really been uh, updated. In terms of chlamydia and gonorrhea, uh, our recommended testing periods around seven days. So after your last sexual encounter, if you test seven days later, we can pretty much almost guarantee that that's a very accurate test for you. With syphilis, it takes six weeks. <laughs> so if, if you can imagine going back, let's go back 10 years ago when we didn't have PrEP for HIV. And everyone remembers then that you got to wait at least three to six months before you can before you can really know for sure if you don't have HIV or not. Back then, it was just a giant anxious scare personally for me because every single time I had an encounter, I was like, I have to wait a whole six months just to know for sure. Uh, syphilis is kind of the same way. We have to wait almost six to 12 weeks. 
And uh, with the change and shift in culture nowadays, with how more sex, sexually positive um, everyone is, waiting six weeks is not common at all. <laughs> so because of that, um, we're trying to figure out as an organization and as healthcare providers as a whole, how can we best prevent syphilis knowing what we know now? Um, and DoxyPep has been a, a great way for us to give to our patients and give them that sort of ability to protect themselves when we know, when we know what we know, pretty much that. Uh, unless somehow you wait a whole six weeks, the person that you're having sex with right now might have it and might not even know. Mm-hmm. The best medication that, are, that can cure it is basically penicillin. So uh, it's a penicillin shot, and that works really well with preventing and, and curing uh, syphilis. However, for people that are already allergic to penicillin, we have an alternative. And guess what's the alternative medication for syphilis? It's doxycycline. So we use doxycycline for two weeks to treat syphilis. So it works also. It's, it works both ways for both prevention and, and treatment. I've heard some concerns just on social media of people thinking that um, they'll say, oh, this is an antibiotic and that will reduce your, uh, it will reduce the effectiveness of antibiotics or somehow be bad for you in the long run. Um, have, what have you heard as far as that's concerned or what would you say to that? So a lot of people are concerned about resistance and not just the regular people, but also in the scientific community, in the medical community, because, you know, we are really, uh, a lot of these bugs are really um, developing a lot of resistance to different antibiotics, and which is very challenging for us. Um, so with that said, um, there are, as we know, there are really resistance, uh, tetracycline resistant gonorrhea. So it only works, you know, it's not as uh, higher than the chlamydia and syphilis, which they don't have any resistance right now. But my my take on that is in the public health um, view, I think this is a very good tool. Doxycycline is a good tool. Yeah, there is a resistance uh, possibility still uh, in the long-term use of doxycycline. They're, They're studying that now, and hopefully we can get more data about that. But for now, since we have really high STIs in the community, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and especially syphilis, um, it's a great tool to really help in um, reducing the risk of STIs in the community. So it seems like you would say, for now, the benefits outweigh the risks for, for a lot of the folks that you're Yeah, saying. for now, until we have all these new data, so we, we will find out. And to add on to what James said, um, my tech is pretty much very similar to James um, in that uh, where we currently stand right now, um, in terms of STI rates, they are, are always constantly rising. Some people may believe that it's due to um, uh, unprotected sex, condomless con- sex, prep as a party drug and all of that, but it really isn't. What we notice is that those trends have always been growing regardless of those. <laughs> there have been multiple studies that show people that use condoms versus people that don't, uh, that the rates are very, very similar. That yes, there's technically a little bit higher within the condomless use, but it's not enough to be what we call, quote-unquote, scientifically significant. The other thing is there's many different medical providers with many different ways of thinking, some more conservative and some more liberal. Um, and I'm not talking in terms of, of, of politics, just, <laughs> just in terms of, 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 of how, they're, of, of how they, they manage their, their medical practice. Um, and on, on, th- on the side that's leaning more conservative for more about antibiotic resistance, I, I completely agree. There is a risk of that, and we absolutely monitor that. We should always use best practices and use uh, up-to-date research to guide what we know. Science is always developing and it's, it's always updating itself, so we should never have a rigid thinking, I believe. 
with that in mind, uh, doxycycline has been used for decades, decades for acne, for something as simple as an inflammation on your face. And people take these for months at a time. Even there are patients that even take it for a year. So if, if we were to extrapolate that sort of statement and say, if there's a good chunk of, of people that have acne, a lot more than people that have STIs, and they're on doxy for long periods of time, wouldn't we already now have some form of resistance with chlamydia and syphilis already? <laughs> and if we don't, why? And that's, that's what we're looking for now is why haven't we? But the good news is, is that uh, while we're, we're trying to find out the why, we do know that what James said currently is there is no resistance with chlamydia or syphilis. And because of that, why not use it? Right. Right. Um, so if someone came in and they believe they've maybe been exposed to one of these STIs, um, what would the next steps look like, at least for the folks that come in and see you? Um, pretty much uh, because we don't know what they have, whether it's chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis or HIV. Um, if they're within the, the periods of, of post-exposure, then I would offer that type of treatment for them. And to give a really, really clear example, let's just say someone had sex yesterday, and then they came in to see one of us here at our rapid results clinic, um, and they get some testing done. There's no way that test will tell us whether they're positive or not, because it's just too early. But they are within the window periods of PEP or post-exposure. So based on their risk, we would then offer them doxypep um, or treatment for gonorrhea. And it just really depends on um, patient anxiety levels. Um, it's, it's really a patient-centered experience, at least personally for me, because um, my goal whenever I treat my patients is to get them feeling more like themselves. Because whenever you come in to, for any type of, of symptom or just for any type of advice from a medical provider, um, you're always more anxious than, than uh, when starting in. And my goal is to get you less when you're walking out. I love that, Michael. Thank you. <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, give Mark an opportunity here. Mark's been uh, listening uh, attentively here. And I wanted to ask you, Mark, um, what are some of your questions that you've had about Doxypad from the research we've done so far? Yeah, um, I wanted to know, I know that there's some gaps in information from people who haven't experienced taking it yet. Um, and one question that I found people would ask online is, um, the effect that doxypep might, may or may not have on uh, your gut bacteria. And I was wondering if you guys could speak on that. So what I've read during research that they are also concerned about the gut microbiome. Um, so as of now, they really don't know the actual effect on the gut microbiome. Um, but, you know, we, we know that doxycycline is an antibiotic that could also affect other bacteria, such as staphylococcus and stuff like that. So... Um, yeah, so they're trying to research that now and studying uh, the effect on microbiome. But I would suggest I would always tell my patients to, you know, um, supplement yourself with probiotics um, when you're especially using doxycycline or any antibiotics for that matter. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Are there any other misconceptions you can think of that people who don't know a lot about doxypep <clears throat> might assume and you want to address? I do. Um, so the, the guidance that we have on doxypep is that you should be taking it with, um, within 24 to 72 hours post-sex, um, um, post essentially. Um, what is a bit uh, 
not complicated, but long to also state within that, that, that piece of, of paper that you'll see um, from the pharmacy is that you don't want to take more than 200 milligrams a day. <laughs> so um, I always also like to give my patients an example. Let's just say you had sex nine o'clock um, at nine o'clock this morning today. And you said to yourself, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore. And then you take two pills. But then you get another hit on grinder, and then you do have another hookup. Do you take another two pills? No. <laughs> but saying that on, on a pharmacy bottle can be a bit much. Um, so I, I always try to explain to my patient, two a day, that's it. Um, you always want to uh, just add a safety, always make sure that the, at every last sexual encounter that you always top it off with two. Mm. But that means that you would wait until the next day to take your two. Now, okay. Um, and I, I'd l I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that I, I've got a question about, which is just um, how this is administered, how long people typically need to take Doxypep for in order for it to be effective. Right. And um, what would happen after that period? Would they go back and get tested again just to make sure that it worked? Or what, what does that look like? So to help reassure uh, uh, everyone um, on this podcast and just in general. So I always like looking at the, the chemical structures of medications. And, and, and that's always has been such a an interest of mine because it, it just it, it helps guide the way I practice but it, it's also really really interesting to me so doxycycline has a pretty long what we call half-life which means that it lasts within our, our body for a long time roughly around I would say 12 to 24 hours so that means that when you take two pills of, of doxycycline it's at a amount enough that the CDC and in, in medical practice that we know will protect you against chlamydia and syphilis we also know how long it lasts, which is between 12 to 24 hours, leading more towards 24 hours in our body. And that's what we call the half-life, as in it's not in 24 hours, all of the doxycycline is gone. It's just half of it is gone. So that means the next day, if you don't take any, you still technically have one doxycycline left. So the, the, the idea behind having doxypep is, and, and, and its long half-life is what creates that, that protection. If you have sex at 9 o'clock in the morning, you'll be fully protected until that following nine o'clock the following day. And even then, even if, even if you did somehow have sex again, you still have a little bit left to try to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. So would you um, then prescribe Doxypep to folks um, for them to take it on a regular, like a sort of ongoing indefinite basis? It really just depends on how, on their sexual life. If they are planning on having sex maybe twice a week, then they probably will be on doxy, doxy pep maybe have half a, a two to three two to three days out of that week mm -hmm. um but if you're the type that maybe have sex once a month then you'll probably only just need those two pills and you're, and you're perfectly fine but regardless of of how you use the doxy pep as long as it's within the window period we can safely uh, expect that you'll you'll be protected but with that in mind we always still recommend that uh you should always test routinely and regularly. The goal behind Doxypep is to protect you against chlamydia and syphilis. And the only way that we'll know is if you test regularly enough for us to see if that works for you. Sure, sure. What, what would you well, say to that, James? Well, right now, the current recommendation for testing is every three months. However, if you have multiple partners and you have sexual acts, like at least two, twice a week, then I would probably say, you know, at least come see us once a month. To, to, get, uh, to get tested for STIs, just a routine STI testing. Yeah, because uh, the incubation period for gonorrhea and chlamydia is within, within a week to two weeks. 
And then, you know, we know that uh, syphilis is around, you know, a month to three months of incubation period. So for, for syphilis, it's okay to do every three months of um, testing. But for gonorrhea, if you have multiple partners, at least once a month. And uh, one of the things that I remember talking to you about earlier, James, is um, the idea of, you know, different um, demographics or different communities um, that have either been part of the clinical trials for doxypap in this case, um, and then some of the other groups of folks that may also benefit. And I'd love to just hear a little bit more about that. So um, what I'm referring to are the clinical trials um, to administer doxypep for the purpose of this um, post-exposure treatment of STIs for chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis, and just the communities that were specifically involved in those studies. And if you could just tell us a little bit about that and um, give us some of that backstory. So we know during this study, they um, actually enrolled uh, patients or um, individuals that are MSM, which is men who have sex with men, and also transgender women. So those are the study group that they, they did it on. And then, but the thing is, um, I have patients other than MSM and transgender women in, my, in, the, in the clinic. And we have cisgender men who have sex with other women or cisgender women that also have sex with men. So we have those. So the heterosexual community. What I tell them is that, so they are very excited, especially the cisgender men, about this because they, they have multiple female partners. So they're like, oh, how come I never heard about this? It's unfair. <laughs> Is it only among the MSM that they have STIs? So I, I started give, uh, discussing them with them and then and, and, and find out that they, it's appropriate to give it to them as well because of the multiple partners that they have. And they also engage in unprotected oral vag and vaginal sex and sometimes anal sex. So with other women, I have also patients that are transgender men. Now they're asking me, like, would that be appropriate for me to have uh, doxypep? Because in, in the study that you, you mentioned, it's mostly MSM and transgender women. Uh, they really didn't do much uh, study on cisgender women and also trans men. Although there's one study that they did in Kenya where they um, enrolled cisgender women, but most of them are mostly sex workers. But in, in that study, I, I would tell them this. Um, as part of my discussion with them, is that in that study, they didn't find any significant um, difference between the doxypep and also the standard of care. So they didn't see any benefit of uh, doxypep. But, you know, there, there's a lot of questions about it and why it didn't work. Um, so maybe the, the vaginal makeup probably contribute to that, or maybe they're not consistent with the use of doxypep in that culture. So maybe they didn't work. So there's, they're furthering their study on that one. So I would discuss this with my transgender men and cisgender women. And then, and another thing is that doxycycline also affects when you're pregnant. So women who can actually have, be pregnant, uh, I have to discuss it with them that if they're pregnant, we you should not be taking doxycycline. Right? And that could okay. also be playing a role too. If somehow you tell a patient, Oh yeah, don't don't take doxycycline because it could potentially affect your ability to bear a child. That definitely will make someone who is a cisgender woman or anyone that can that has the ability to to have a woman create a child not take their doxycycline correctly. Um, I believe stigma plays a really big role, not in just the LGBTQIA community, but also in the heterosexual community as well. And that could also be why, like what James said, why some of some of our cisgender men are saying. We never knew about this. And that's just because sex positivity 
has been relatively new, but, but been embraced by the LGBTQIA community, but not so much by the heterosexual community. Mm. And because of that, talking about sex has not been as open. And if you don't talk about sex with your friends, with your coworkers, with, or, or just anywhere, how, how are you supposed to spread that, that type of knowledge and education, right? So whenever I treat any of my patients at one of our rapid results clinic, it, it doesn't matter whether you have, whether you're heterosexual, homosexual, uh, or however you identify yourself as or who you, who you have sex with. It's about how many. So if you're monogamous, both of you have already tested, you're completely committed to each other, there's pretty much no way that you can spread any STDs between the two of you if you've all been, been tested already. But if you have multiple sexual partners, it doesn't matter. I will always try my best to figure out what preventative treatments I can offer them in whatever scenario possible to, to make them feel more reassured, especially in our cisgendered women and in our transgendered men. Yes, dog cycling is always something that um, I'm a bit more cautious using, but it's more about the education, not the withholding. Well said, Michael. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting about DoxyPep and the possibilities is how this may play a role in ending the epidemics and the idea of bringing down these high syphilis rates potentially, or just helping more folks with their sexual health. Oh, what do you predict? What do you think is a possibility here? How DoxyPep can be a tool for that? Um, I've, I'm already seeing it. So um, <laughs> with, without any solid, like, actual graphing data or absolute data, because uh, this is just off the top of my head. Um, but early this year, I have had to give many, 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 many empirical bicillin, which is penicillin treatment for syphilis. But during the later half of, of this year, once we started uh, offering doxypet, once more people understood it, once the community has been using it more, I've been giving a lot less bicillin. And uh, I don't know about you, James, but have you, have you been noticing that, that you've been having to treat less syphilis uh, during the later half of this year? Yeah, I, I totally noticed that one. Yeah. So um, without any solid data, but just, just, from, um, uh, just from our own personal data, from just seeing our patients, um, we've seen a dramatic reduction in syphilis cases. And, and that's just from UC here in West Hollywood and in, in South LA. Can you imagine if we were able to get this knowledge out to pretty much all of the U.S. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that's so amazing to hear, too. <laughs> and it, it's, and Dolly Cycling is so cheap and so affordable. Many of my patients from South L.A., they come in as uninsured. How are they going to afford this medication? Yes, we offer it here at our clinic, but there are also ways of, if they don't want to come into our clinic to, to get the medication, I can prescribe it to, to a pharmacy near them. And many of my uh, undocumented patients that I, that I see um, down there um, are just the ones I don't want to uh, give up their, their personal data or personal information. I'm always able to tell them, if you need DoxyPep, I will find a way to get you it. Mm. Thank you, Michael. Uh, you know, um, we're getting close to time here, so I, I did want to um, just make sure that I ask, is there anything we haven't covered um, on the topic of DoxyPep that we should definitely make sure to let our listeners know about? So basically, DoxyPep is doxycycline. You take 200 milligrams of it within 24, preferably within 24 hours of after sex, any unprotected condomless oral, anal, or vaginal sex is considered <laughs> unprotected, uh, including oral. And I also tell them that also rimming mm. will be considered yes. part of it as well. So either receiving or giving it. So within 24 to 72 hours, uh, we'll give you about 80% effectiveness in preventing chlamydia and syphilis and also about 57 to 70% in some uh, strains of gonorrhea. And that's over a spectrum. The sooner that you start, 
you'll be closer to 80%. The later that you start, the closer you are to maybe that that percent that Jane was talking about. And I think the one thing that we are um, we, we have discussed is some people are concerned about the side effects. Yes. Mm. And how does it affect uh, you know, what happens when you take doxycycline? And a lot of people are complaining about nausea when they take it. Now, it is best absorbed in an empty stomach. However, a lot of people are complaining that they feel sick and feel nauseated when they take it. And I think so, it's because they were taking two, because so many, many of my patients, and maybe with yours too, James, is that it's because you're taking two pills at once. Most people generally can tolerate 100 milligrams just fine, but it's taking 200 all at once that tends to cause the stomach to be upset. Um, like James said, on an empty stomach is always best. Uh, it's not ideal, but because of what I know about how long the half-life is of doxycycline, that's, that's how I'm able to recommend this advice. You can take 100 milligrams and then wait an hour and then take your second 100 milligrams. And we know that, yes, that's not ideal, but within a one, a, within a one hour period, it's not going to cause that much of a difference between how long it's going to stay in your system to protect you. But it will reduce the side effects because within an hour, your body has already digested the first one. Yeah. Yeah, or I tell them that um, they can also take it with some food. Yes. So and then, and then of course lots of fluids, like lots of water. Okay. Um, well, this is really exciting. I think I should mention too. Um, you know, some folks have talked about how, of course, with uh, herpes and hepatitis, and obviously HIV, doxypep is not a solution for those things. Um, Impox as well, or any other viral infections, um, doxypep would not apply. But of course, we've got treatment options for those as well. I wanted to make sure that I um, ask you both. Um, just how folks can find out more, maybe get access to DoxyPep if that's something they um, would identify as a good candidate for or, or where they can go to, to learn more. You're more than welcome to walk into any of our rapid results clinic. We try to make it as easy um, or accessible to our patients. And uh, in terms of the medication, we always have it uh, in stock or we try to anyways, <laughs> knock on wood, <laughs> try to have it uh, in stock at, at our clinics with that. And in terms of like actual readable materials. I think James might know a bit more about that than well, I do. Yeah, if you need any other have questions, of course, you can just walk in in any of our rapid clinic um, in 8601 and, or in 8280. So Michael is in 8601 and um, at 8280 uh, yeah. Santa Monica Boulevard. So they can just walk in there and, you know, if they have any questions about it, you know, we can definitely talk to them about it. And then um, there's a lot of also questions like how, how affordable is it? Is it expensive? Uh, well, there's a lot of patients of mine that are have no insurance and also doesn't have, you know, work. I tell them like it's between like five to like $25 for a month supply, which is pretty good price. It's pretty cheap and affordable. And, you know, it's very accessible. You, know, you can just walk in in our end of our clinic and then, you know, ask about Doxibab. And then you can also make an appointment online to see us. That's right. That's right. And that's at mincellfound.org. And the uh, locations we were talking about earlier, that's 8280 Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood and 8601 South Broadway in South Los Angeles um, here for Men's Health Foundation. Of course, um, if you're listening from other parts of the country, other parts of the world, I think some of the best resources would be LGBT affirmative providers. If that is accessible to you um, through nonprofits like ours, um, I think we can definitely testify to the benefits of LGBTQ affirmative providers who understand and who are able to break through that stigma in a judgment-free zone um, for these kinds of experiences. 
Of course, what we've heard today from James and from Michael is it sounds like anyone or certainly um, people outside of the LGBTQ community could also benefit from this or people who are men having sex with men who maybe don't identify as LGBTQ. So I think that it's important to make sure that everyone is aware of this great new uh, treatment, this great new opportunity to help in the epidemics um, for gonorrhea, syphilis and chlamydia. Michael and James, I want to thank you so much for your time. You know, we've got a lot more topics that we can definitely cover when it comes to men's health and sexual health. Thank you again very much. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men's Health Foundation podcast. The information and opinions shared in this podcast are for educational purposes only. For medical advice, please talk with your primary care physician or medically licensed professional. To learn more about Men's Health Foundation, please visit our website at menshealthfound.org. You can also follow us on Instagram at Men's Health Found and subscribe to our YouTube channel.